Yo, what's up everyone? It's your man, DJ Mr. Chris, with another episode of Hip Hop Calypse. Many of you guys know where you were and what you were doing when these two occurrences shook the world of hip-hop. Rap star Tupac Shakur died last night after a brief life in a rough business. He was 25. Wallace, also known as Biggie Smalls, was shot from a passing vehicle. He had been named Rap Artist of the Year at the Billboard Awards in 1995. Nearly a decade after the fact, this man was in charge of heading up a cold case for the LAPD homicide unit. This man is also the author of the best-selling book called Murder Rap, the untold story of Biggie Smalls and Tupac Shakur. Today's guest, I have retired LAPD homicide detective, Mr. Greg Kading on Hopocalypse. Hello, sir. How are you doing today? Everything is great. Oh, man. Thank you so much. Hey, thank you so much for joining. So for all of the listeners that... Uh, is listening today i have a very very uh special guest uh, because this man uh probably more than likely unwillingly knew it at the time that he would be forever etched in hip-hop history uh today's guest is the author of the best-selling book called murder rap the untold story of biggie smalls and tupac shakur Ladies and gentlemen, today on Hip Hopcalypse, I have retired LAPD homicide detective, Mr. Greg Kading on Hip Hopcalypse. How you doing, sir? I am fantastic. How are you today? Uh, you know what? Every day is a holiday, man. I try to be positive. Uh, That's right. You know, uh, all things considering, just trying to be positive. So we're going to hop right into it. You have a good book. I read a little bit of it. I haven't read it all, but... Um, the book is titled Murder Rap, The Untold Story of Biggie Smalls and Tupac Shakur. So it would be crazy to say what was the catalyst for you to write the book. And so I think we all know that. However, though, we have to go back and talk about some of the pieces that uh, came in, came into place. But before we do that. Can you let the listeners know a little bit about your experience and how did you become an LAPD homicide detective? Well, when I was a kid, I was kind of, um, didn't, you know, I was kind of, uh, not knowing exactly what direction I was going to go with in my life. I didn't have a lot of um, really positive role models until, um, I got under the mentorship of my pop Warner football coach, a guy named Wyatt Hart. He was a lieutenant in the sheriff's department. I became really good friends with his kid. And so he kind of steered me along and helped keep me out of trouble um, during my teenage years. And then, you know, he told me, he's like, Greg, man, you haven't fucked up so bad yet where you can't get a job as a cop if you want to think about that. And at the time, I'd never thought as a kid, like, hey, I want to grow up and be a cop. That I was looking at trying to get a good job and something right. that was, you know, reliable. So at 20, I applied for the sheriff's department down in orange county and uh got in went through the academy and worked there for a few years but i always wanted to work in la just thought it would be more exciting and uh mm -hmm. so i applied for the lapd and then uh, went through another academy and then did my probation and then became a gang officer and then a narcotic officer and worked all these really cool task forces and these really cool assignments and then ultimately um, began to work homicide and uh you know the homicide um uh, assignment ultimately led 
ultimately led to me working this thing called Robbery Homicide Division, which is kind of our downtown high profile homicide division. And that's when I got uh, turned on to work in the, the Biggie case. Okay. So now you're, you're a homicide detective. You go in uh, to work one day. And um, what was your reaction when you were told that you would be handling this case? And, and just for the clear, just for clarity, we, we know that Tupac died about six, seven months prior to Biggie uh, mm-hmm. being, being to Biggie being exa- assassinated. So right. what was the buzz around uh, Tupac Shakur being killed in, in Vegas first? And how did that trickle down to uh, you working that in Los Angeles? Well, it really wasn't at all um, about Tupac. You've got to keep in mind, I got the cold case, Biggie's cold case in 2006. So that's Mm -hmm. almost, you know, that's almost 10 years after Pac and then nine years after Biggie. So all all of the, you know, all of the um, real media attention and everything was long, long gone. Okay, so, so you got the you got the cold case once they couldn't once they couldn't connect the dots with things. So you received. The cold. I, I I got it as a result of a lawsuit that had been filed against the city by by Biggie's mom and his wife Faith um, because a predecessor of mine, another detective, had postulated that there was some involvement of LAPD officers, and then he couldn't get any traction with that, and he got disgruntled and then and quit the job and wrote a book and then that book kind of took on a journey of its own and uh led to this lawsuit against the city okay. well once that lawsuit was underway they wanted to re-examine the case and see if there's any merit to these claims that were being made and that's when i got assigned the case so it's a cold case and so all of the hype all of the hoopla has like you said has since been long gone and so now you're starting I'm not going to necessarily say that you start from scratch, but you're starting in a place to perhaps where people aren't necessarily so emotional about it. And so the momentum with with regards to information that you're going to receive from various people um, who perhaps were there, people that you can investigate, uh, probably isn't there anymore. So as a as a detective without getting too much into it that you're you know with tell me what you're able to tell me how was you able to pick up the pieces after so much time has passed was it one of those cases that all of the pieces were there and you just had to connect them where it wasn't done before or did you really have to go down the rabbit hole to find things and really start and, and start the process of elimination yeah that's what we did it was a process of elimination we took everything into consideration any viable theory uh, you know, we was worth looking at. So we had an investigative strategy that we're just going to approach this as if every theory is true. And when we can disprove it, then we can set it aside and move on to the next one. So that was the process of elimination. But there had been a tremendous amount of work done before I got there. So I had to get myself familiarized with all that previous investigative material, me and a whole task force of people. This just wasn't me. You know, we had a whole designated group of people. Um, so we all had to get familiar with the case and then figure out how to move forward. So we just started to tackle the, the various theories and, um, you know, bump them off, um, whenever that was appropriate. 
how convoluted was it you know when you talk about when you talk about theories i mean these are theories that held up until the point that you got it these are theories that held in place for nine and ten years up until you got it and then all of a sudden there's a theory that you have to throw out the window how frustrating was that 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 was something that probably could have been done at the beginning stages of the investigation and so now you have to come in are you you and the rest of your team have to come in and dispel myths and theories that should have been done at the beginning it can be frustrating but that's part of the job you know that's part of the challenge and that's part of the excitement and the motivation is to is to weed through that stuff and uh, um, you know try to get your puzzle pieces to fit together um, but it was it was discouraging because there were so many lies there was just so much misinformation just so many shady people putting their names in the middle of this thing and mixing it up and that's why it got detoured you know almost right off the bat and of course you know you got to keep in mind what the culture is you know these this was ultimately gang related and the culture of these gang members are that they don't cooperate with the cops they're not going to tell you anything and when they do talk most of the time it's it's a uh, uh, erroneous information right. so that's the, that's the trouble with these gang related type of homicides is that you don't get the cooperation you need from the people that were in a position to know things right and and again the length of time is probably what made it hard as well so was there ever time that you felt man how am i the lucky one to be on this case and have there was there ever time to feel like perhaps you opened up pandora's box was there ever time that you felt that you were in a position that you shouldn't have been in, meaning that did you fear for your safety? Did you ever feel for fear, fear for your life at any time? Maybe it's outlined in a book and I just didn't see it, but was there ever a point of time just, you know, given the culture, just like you said, that uh, you felt that perhaps, hey, listen, some if I keep on going in the direction that I'm going to, to discover some things that I'm fearful for something happening to me? No, absolutely not. Not at all. That never even crosses your mind in any way, shape, or form. And if it does, you should, then you're in the wrong profession. If you're afraid of the people that you're pursuing, then you shouldn't be pursuing them. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, it, it never, ever entered my mind, regardless of what theory proved to be true. I don't care if, it, if it's cops, fuck them. I'll face them. If it's gangsters, fuck them. I'll, I'll put them on blast. I don't care. I'm just trying to solve this case. And if you let fear detour you from that pursuit, then you don't belong in that profession. Yeah, no, no. And I and I understand. Um, but this particular case is probably I mean, unless you've had one that was unless you've been assigned to one that was probably uh, more high profile. I mean, we're talking about even though that it was a cold case 10 years later we're talking about the division of two coasts. You know, we have the West and we have the East Coast and um, some things perhaps in the mentality of some other people hey you know there's some things that's meant to, to to stay buried i'm thinking that if i was one of those police officers it probably would have crossed my mind one or two times like geez you know what would the outcome be but you're definitely a brave man if you if you didn't go through those emotions and those feelings so that's what's up no no never you know we always knew that most likely we were going to be dealing with trig knight at least insofar as the Biggie case. And of course, there was early theory about Shug even, you know, having something to do with Fox murder. So, you know, mm -hmm. we always knew that that he would be, you know, one of the um, likely uh, suspects in the case. And, you know, if you're, you know, and, and of course, he's an intimidating person to most people, but you can't let that stand in the way of, of what you're doing. So, 
when did um, when was the theory that some members of the LA police uh, LA police department could have had something to do with it? Was that early on in the case, or was that something that you and your team had discovered? Ten years? No, no. It was it was relatively early on. It started out with a uh, jailhouse informant, and this jailhouse informant uh, threw out some names of some people, and this jailhouse informant was collaborating with another jailhouse informant, and they were just trying to figure out a way to uh, get themselves into the good graces of law enforcement by providing information, and so that's really when it all started. This this informant named Michael Robinson had approached the LAPD and said, listen, I know some things about Biggie's murder. This, this cat that, you know, my brother knows and has known for a long time was the hitman. And, you know, and so after, now a totally unrelated event happens where an LAPD officer named David Mack robs a bank. And this guy robs a bank and he's caught, and, you know, ultimately uh, goes to prison for it. But during the period of time that he was in jail, he gets visited by an old college roommate of his named Amir Muhammad. Well, that informant, Michael Robinson, earlier had mentioned, well, you know, the shooter's name, uh, I think it was Ajmer or Abraham or Amir or Kenny or Kiki. He's throwing out all these, you know, possible names. And that four-letter name, Amir, became connected to this Amir Muhammad who had visited the dirty cop. And that's what spawned this whole theory that, this was the Amir that did the shooting for this cop who works for Suge. And it was all, it's all bullshit, but it started a popular theory that even today is, you know, people are still gravitating towards because it's a very salacious story. Yeah, absolutely. And there's, uh, there's a lot of ambiguity, a lot of um, gray areas with, with the various different theories as well. Um, mm -hmm. As far as the book is concerned, what type of backlash did you receive, if any? Uh, no backlash at all. Um, nothing, absolutely nothing. Um, the only thing was that I, I had a really, um, you know, one of the bigger publishers in the country that wanted to publish the book. But once they got the finished manuscript and they saw that we were putting Puffy on blast, they were like, oh, no thanks. He's too litigious. We don't want to. This was a New York publishing company that had. In his, yeah. <laughs> in his backyard, yeah, they, they, they were probably in the same building. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, so they were like, "Yeah, no thanks." And so I was like, "Well, hell with it. It's a done deal. So I'll just self-publish it." And then it took off, you know, on a life of its own, and led to a documentary, and then a television series, and all that. So, yeah, but no you, backlash. Oh, okay. So you, you know, you get, you do get contacted. I, I, I mean, I've seen you on TV. I've seen you on. Uh, various interviews, and I've also read the comments of the book, uh, the reviews of the book, and uh, all of them were stellar comments. Uh, I, I don't think that I've seen one bad comment. I had went onto Amazon and took a look, you know, took a look at the reviews, and uh, also read the first few pages uh, of the book. And so, uh, I will be purchasing it out after we get done uh, with this meeting. But uh, yeah, the. So the book is out now. You said that you're you're going to concentrate on some documentaries. You know, there's probably like a gazillion different documentaries that's out there. Um, have you thought about, or uh, are you in the midst of working with 
you know, documentaries with some other people from the task force, like from their experiences as well uh, regarding this case. Is that in the makings? Is that in the work? So my book was published in 2011. Right. And then in, uh-huh. two, and, and then in 2015, a, a full two hour documentary uh, by the same name as my book, Murder App, uh, was produced and, and got really um, great reviews. And uh, so there's already a documentary in 2015 detailing everything that's in the book and other people that in the task force are interviewed on that documentary. And then that documentary is part of what compelled Netflix um, to do the limited series Unsolved, which is based on the book and and loosely based on what's in the documentary. So um, it, we've already gone down that path. Documentary's been done, limited television series has been done. It's on Netflix called Unsolved. And uh, I would actually recommend watching the documentary over reading the book because the visual stuff complements the written word. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, I just want to go back to one, one question uh, real quick. And this is actually... Uh, one of the, the last couple of questions here when the when the department found out that there were now we're seeing one crooked cop could there have been other cops could there have been a massive cover-up was that one of the theories or was that one of the things when you took over the code when you and your team took over the cold case did you find out a lot about more did you find out that there were more cover-ups that there were more crooked cops within it no no not at all as a matter of fact that was one of the primary theories that we set out to either prove or disprove because that's what the lawsuit was based on and so you know we dug in deep and a lot of other work had already been done by um, other task forces the u.s attorney's office the fbi um, the previous investigators there was a whole other um, RICO task force looking at death row. So a ton of work had been done and not one, not one single uh, piece of evidence surfaced to suggest that these claims were true. David Mack was in fact a dirty cop. He was discovered, he was sent to prison, but there's no connection whatsoever to the murder of Biggie Smalls, nor is any other cop. Um, so that was, that was what we set out to determine and we found out what actually happened was just sugar retaliated one of his gangster homeboys and getting back for what had happened to him in Tupac in Vegas. It was a relatively simple once you get down to it. It was right. just some street shit. Right, right, right. When you were doing an investigation, what were some of the things that um, you were uncovering about a lot about their personalities? And it, it may sound like a crazy question because some of it is really polarized already and posterized on television and so you know we get the whole gangster mentality we get the whole you know um money clothes and holes and the whole things like that but you know the background the backdrop stories uh you know when you're talking to people about different characters of these people how were they i mean was that really their lifestyle or were they were just like you know regular average day people that just happened to get wrapped up into some bad things well, it was a little both. I mean, take Tupac, for instance. You know, he had no business putting himself in the middle of a gang beef, and that's what ultimately got him killed. You know, mm-hmm. he went over and slugged a, a, a gang member um, who came back and shot and killed him. Well, he had no business being in the middle of that. But So Pac's a rapper, he's an artist, and here he is, you know, acting like a gangster to try to represent to the homies that he felt so much love with and for, but he had no business being there, and somebody should have been looking out for him and keeping him you know, in his place. 
So, but but then again, you've got guys like the shooters, and both Biggie gets killed by a guy named Wardell Faust. He was a straight up killer. Pac gets killed by a guy named Orlando Anderson, straight up killer. And these are just bad people who were willing to do bad things for almost no reason. So, you know, everybody has to be kind of evaluated, at, you know, individually. Um, there was some good people. There are a whole lot of people lying in this case. And that's what caused it. Sure. So there was so much noise, just so much bullshit. And that's what we had to, you know, that was one of the reasons that the whole thing um, uh, never, it was never resolved the way it should have been. So for all the listeners that's listening, um, we, we don't have to mention their names, but every now and then, uh, you know, rather on net, uh, Netflix or, or Tubi TV or something like that, I, I could be wrong. Um, you see one of these conspiracy shows who killed Tupac and who killed Biggie. So with uh, officer with retired detective Caden uh, on the line here, we know the killers of both of these icons. Is that a true statement? A hundred percent. And, and, and absolutely. Uh, Wardell Fouts shot and killed Biggie Smalls. And then Wardell Fouts himself was killed in 2002. Orlando Anderson shot and killed Tupac Shakur. And then Orlando Anderson himself was shot and killed in 1999. So these guys suffered the same vengeance, the same justice, so to speak, um, that they had exacted upon these victims. They died violently in the streets the same way that they killed both Pac and Big. So some people would say that's perfect justice, an eye for an eye type stuff. Sure. Um, but there's other people involved that, you know, of course, Suge was involved, at least in, in Biggie's case. But now Suge's getting his. He's in prison for all intents and purposes the rest of his life. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess you just got to, you know, what, what's justice to you? What's justice to me? What does it mean? Is it better to have somebody just killed the way they killed? Or would you want to see them languish away for the rest of their life? Right, right. I think as far as my views are concerned, I'll go ahead and plead the fifth on that one. But um, <laughs> so, so now, now more about you. It's just, is it just a job? Was it just a job? Or do you have some kind of validation to say, hey, listen, I work, I work, I was a part of the investigation. I mean, you don't want to, the person never takes pride in anyone's death. I'm not saying that. But right. what I'm saying is, is that, this has got to be uh, something that you can put on your resume that people will look and say, oh, my God, you, you worked this case if you weren't retired. Um, this is kind of like a banner on your resume. Yeah. And I mean, that's kind of a weird thing is to get a banner on your resume because of somebody's By death. death. Right. Yeah. Um, but I am proud of the work we did. And I'm really proud of the people that I worked with and. I'm proud of the fact that we could definitively say what happened. Um, so I'm proud of that, but I'm also, it's bittersweet because, you know, um, for the general public, justice hasn't been served. All the people that were involved um, didn't have to be held accountable, weren't held accountable. So it's, it's, it's bittersweet, but I'm really honored to have had the opportunity to work on it. And uh, um, it, it, was, it was a challenge and, and I think we met, met the challenge. Have you have you ever spoke to Miss Wallace? Many times. Oh, okay. She seemed like a really nice person. Genuinely good people. She's very just full of grace. Okay. How much how how much of her did you work that much harder to be able to give her answers? I know, you know, I, you know, as a mother, I, I've never experienced it, but I know as a mother, 
um, losing a son and not being able to know exactly what happened is inferior infuriating. But now you know what's at stake to be able to provide her answers. That was mo- that was just talking to her was was probably for you guys a lot of motivation to come to come to a conclusion with what happened. Because it was, it was, it was 10 years that there weren't any answers. Then you guys come in and then you guys validate what happened. Right. So, but during that 10 years, she's pursuing a false narrative. Somebody else had led her to believe something else happened. And so she's double victimized. Not only does she lose her son, Damn. but then she, you know, then she's led on this wild goose chase of a lie. And so right. it's, it's, it's horrible. Um, but from the very day, and I, I think I can speak for everybody in our task force, myself and especially my partner, Darren Dupree, it was always the motivation of trying to provide Afini and uh, Valletta the answers that they deserved. Um, and I think Afini always knew what happened to her kid right. um, for all intent and purposes, which is one of the reasons why she set out to sue Orlando Anderson. And then for Valletta, you know, it was it was a tough thing because she had been led to believe something for so long. Now comes a guy saying, nope, that wasn't true. This is true. You know, she doesn't know who to believe. It's it's this really uncomfortable, terrible thing for her. So um, I don't think she'll get she'll ever get full. She'll never get full closure because there's just too much noise in her ears. Man, oh, man. So I see that you got the hat on. Got 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 the goat got the goat going on a little bit. Looks like you were you're in retirement mode. 10 years retirement mode man oh man oh man is it nice (laughs) you're enjoying yourself yeah yeah i stay super busy i'm every bit as busy as i ever was you know when i was on the job you know i opened up my own pi business and um, i've just thought i've got my hands in all kinds of different fires so i stay really busy because that's all i know to do but it Mm -hmm. is nice not having to answer to somebody that's the best part is not having to go and ask my lieutenant you know whether i can do this or that or so that I don't have any bureaucracy in my life. Okay. And um, as far as your PI business, pretty successful, I'm assuming. Yeah. Yeah, I did super well. I did really, really good. So, um, but I'm shutting that down and pursuing some some other venue, some other, um, um, some other avenues. I'm going to close that chapter. I've done it for 10 years and it's time for me to do something more fun. A little less stress in your life, right? I can only imagine being a homicide detective. Uh, yeah, and, yeah. In, in LA, that brings a lot of stress, and you probably you probably took a lot of that home with you at night as well. Yeah, I probably things. probably drank a lot of it too. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Caden, yeah. why don't you uh, let all of the listeners know uh, where they can find you at on social media? Yeah, I'm just I'm always under my I'm always under my name. You know, I'm under my name on uh, on Twitter and then under my name on Facebook. That's really all I do. I'm not a big social media guy, but uh, yeah, if you if if you wanted to talk to me, it's easy to do it. Just okay. Find me on one of those two, and I answer any and all questions as they come my way. Okay, okay, and and also uh, all of the listeners, please make sure to go out and support the book. Murder Rap, the untold story of Biggie Smalls and Tupac Shakur. And, uh, that could be found on Amazon. Uh, I believe it could be also downloaded on your Kindle, but please make sure to go out and uh, purchase that book. I've seen a lot of good reviews. Um, the first few pages that I read was excellent, uh, excellent content. And 
it is very refreshing. Uh, I'm more than sure that you guys turn it on, turn on the television, rather as HBO Showtime or, or something like that. Not necessarily those stations, but you probably see a gang of the untold story of Tupac and Biggie, uh, who shot and killed Tupac and Biggie. This book here, as well as this interview, is going to give uh, answers to those questions and uh, provide a fresh light, I guess is the, word, the, the best word to say. And so, Mr. Greg, thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate your time, man. Hey, man, my pleasure. It's good meeting you, good talking to you, and uh, yeah, we'll uh, talk down the road. Hey, hold the line for a second. Thank you, sir. You got it.